the point of this manifesto is to say something. I tweeted something. I tweeted this thing that was like, it's about truth and beauty, not some corny wannabe extraordinary life. It equals art. Art is about truth and beauty. Not some corny wannabe extraordinary life. And and I find uh, a lot of people who talk about art or being an artist or being a poet or not even a lot of people so much, but just sort of the mythology of it is it's like you have to be this special uh, renegade being who is iconoclastic and fantastic and sexy and cool. But that's total bullshit. You don't have to be any of those things. It's just about finding out for yourself what you think is true. Sharing what you think is true. Finding out for yourself what you think is beautiful. And sharing what you think is beautiful. And if, that, and if that's boring, that's fine. There was a person who used to come to writer's group. They just wrote these poems about flowers. And I remember one time I said, uh, the, the world has enough. I don't want to make it sound like I was being a fucking dickhead because I wasn't. Um, I fucked with these poems 100% all the way. But I'm always interested in people digging into their lives, their experiences, their whatever. So I said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, I'd be curious to see you write some poems that aren't about flowers. And then I said, the world already has enough poems about flowers. And then she said, no, it doesn't. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. That's like saying the world already has enough flowers. There can never be enough flowers and there can never be enough poems about flowers. And that's true, man. That is true. What she said, I was wrong and she was right. I'm talking about this because there's a poet who's pretty successful and well-known and famous and whatnot, who's involved with the thing called Astro Poets. And he posted an essay on the Astro Poets Substack that was talking about the poet Robert Lacks, but was also complaining about, like, wokeness or some shit. And I should talk the essay on Twitter. And then this person, Alex Demetrov, he called me a fucking loser. To which I responded, a... Uh, you know, I'm not a fucking loser. I'm in love with someone, and they're in love with me. And I've spent the last days with my mom because my dad died unexpectedly and we're grieving. And yeah, I saw your fucking stupid article on the internet late at night, last night, and I shit-talked it to blow off steam. That seems pretty innocuous to me, but if I hurt your feelings, I am sorry. And then he never responded to my tweet. He eventually deleted his tweet calling me a fucking loser. But this dude, he puts out this vision of an artist. As like the artist has to be this sort of, you know, on the cutting edge of being a person type of person. But an artist doesn't have to be anything. They can be boring. They can even be a fucking loser. An artist can be some fucking 
sad person in the middle of nowhere that that literally no one fucking cares about grieving the loss of a loved one an artist can be anyone I'm so sad that my dad died for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is because um, he was a nice guy. And he had a really lovely presence in my life. He was funny. He made me laugh and he made me smile. And I'm going to miss that. It hit me, uh, I, I went to Kearney, Nebraska. I drove there the night that he died and I sat with him, he was dead. I was there, he, his body was on a bed and I sat next to the bed and I talked to him and I cried and I said some stuff. I don't even really remember what I said. And it's pretty fucked up being with someone who you've known your entire life and it's just their fucking corpse laying there. That's not easy. That's not fun. It's pretty painful and it's pretty sad and it's pretty intense. It's pretty painful and it's pretty sad and it's pretty intense. It's pretty painful and it's pretty sad and it's pretty intense. tell this story about this guy his name was alan he was a really good cook he used to run a cafe in benson in omaha that had a poetry event that i went to every month or every couple weeks but then his the the people who rent the cafe they like raised the rent or some shit and then like a a yoga studio moved in and he moved out but now he has a i think he still has up until pretty recently he has a cafe sort of downtown and there's this story that happened is one time my parents, I don't know why they went to that restaurant. It's a real kind of random restaurant. I think mostly it's like the people that work in this building eat there, but my parents went there one time and it was like pouring rain. It started to just pour a downpour while they were in there. And then they're like, man, I really don't want to walk to the car in this pouring rain. And then this guy, Alan, who didn't fucking know them. They were just random people. He was like, do you want to ride? And they're like, who's going to look after your restaurant? He's like, ah, it doesn't matter. I'll just leave it. We'll be, it won't take long. I'll be right back. And then he gave my parents a fucking ride. Like he had a car parked in some garage that was part of the building. He fucking, they went there, they got in the car, he drove them to their car, and then they just got out and hopped in and barely got rained on at all. And I remember my dad was just, uh, 
he was delighted by this happening. Because on the one hand, it's like this dude did him a solid. But on the other hand, Alan is such a such a wacky character that he couldn't help but be sort of amused by the strangeness of the scenario that had unfurled. And it's just this thing where it's like a simultaneous appreciation, but also taking it in for what it is, which is weird. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I have this I have this podcast. It's um it's like these parts that I've been tinkering with very slowly. And one of the one of the parts is me talking about the musical artist Chuck Berry. And then another part is an audio collage of different recordings of different poems that 
that I've written that were recorded throughout the course of my life as a poet. Sometimes, yeah, it's in front of an audience. Sometimes it's just me by myself. But yeah, just that sound of me reading poems captured over time. But it's it's collaged together with these random weird musics that I found on Bandcamp. And then that collage, it sort of ends on this weird, I don't even know if you call it like an ambient track. It's more of like a a glitch track. I don't know what kind of track it is, but it there's no words. And it's made with a computer. And then that track, it just keeps flowing. And then, and then I put in this audio of this show in the town that I grew up in. There's a show called Open Line where basically like people can kind of call in and just talk about whatever. You got something to sell, call Open Line. You got something to say, call Open Line. It's a great show. The guy who does it, his name's Rich. He's been doing it my entire life, almost. Probably not my entire life, but I don't really remember before Open Line. And when my dad died, he had a few of my dad's friends on open line to talk about my dad and what he did for the community. And I recorded it as it was happening. And there's a couple glitches in there, but those are the elements of this podcast that I have figured out right now. But um, I'm trying to come to some kind of clarity through speaking and, ha and have that be the final element. And I'm having a really hard time. And honestly, I've had a really hard time in life. I have this problem where I hate myself. And if I do anything that's at all a mistake, I feel awful about it. And I just feel so terrible. And it can be something completely innocuous, like spilling a cup of water over. And I wish that I didn't feel that way. And I just want to move past that. And I was talking to my mom about this. It's like, I started drinking when I was 15. And it's pretty much off to the races. The frequency increased over the years. It ebbed and flowed, but it mostly increased steadily. But the tendency toward uh, binge drinking, blackout drunk drinking, drinking heavily. That, that was there from day one. It was off to the races from day one. I never had a part in my brain that was like, better slow down. I only had a part in my brain that was like more, 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 more. And when you, um, when you get blackout drunk multiple times per week for years, that fucks with your life. Especially if part of the reason you're doing it is because you have all this unresolved, fucked up feelings 
that you don't know how to express. So you use alcohol as this sort of tool that allows you to express feelings that you otherwise cannot express. The unfortunate byproduct of that is is uh, you say fucked up shit to people that you care about because you're upset about something. You're just going to say it to whoever is there. And I quit booze. And it's been almost a decade. And I still feel fucked up inside. And I know that that's part of life. But I just don't know what to do about anything. I just feel so fucked up. I'm so fucking bad. I don't want my dad to be dead. I just don't want that to be the reality, but it is. And I thought, this is what I thought with the... I don't know why. It's all just fucking hitting me so hard. I don't know what it is. I don't even know if I have a manifesto. I'm just fire what I'm trying to explain. 
my hand, like, always gonna be trying to grieve this loss that I'm, that I'm struggling with, I'm trying to come to terms with. The fact that I'm fucking an alcoholic and drug addict, I'm just trying, and it's exhausting, and I don't want to fucking exhaust myself anymore. This is a bad guy trying to do nothing in the evening. There's nothing. There's some green shutdown. And I like that. It's nice to do nothing. It feels right to do nothing. But it's been clarifying because it's like, usually when I go about my days, I'm like, oh yeah, I got this, I got that. And it's just fucking pressure that I hate. And I don't know how I became my own personal pressure machine. But I did. Okay, yeah, this is my new manifesto. Is it's just like, I'm really sad that uh, my dad died. I'm really heartbroken. One of the last times I visited my parents, I was talking about how I had gotten into cooking. And my dad was like, oh, do you want to start cooking the bread? Because he, he bakes bread. He bakes bread every single week. It's not a professional thing. It's just something that he does. He bakes bread. We eat it. He gives loaves to people. And I said, you know, I, I'm not quite there yet, but but I, I think I will be soon. And then, uh, you know, he's gone now. <laughs> I'm so mad at myself that I didn't take up that offer to have him show me how to do the bread because it's what I wanted. For years, I've wanted nothing more than to figure out how to do the bread because I love the bread. I think it's such a cool, beautiful thing that he does. But I got it in my mind that I can't do it. And then recently, I started breaking out of that, that mindset but then I had it in my mind, I can't do it yet. But I could have done it. I could have said, show me. Let's let's stand up from the table. Show me how to do it right now. And he would have. And there's so many things like that that are in line with the energy of my heart that I avoid. And the reason that I avoid them is because I'm scared. And fear, it is said in the film slash book, Dune, is the mind killer. Your awareness may be powerful enough to control your instincts. Your instinct will be to remove your hand from the box. If you do so, you die. You will feel an itching there now the itching becomes burning heat upon heat upon heat silence silence i must not fear fear is the mind killer fear is a little death that brings total obliteration i will face my fear i'm permitted to pass over me That's my new manifesto. I don't want to be ruled by fear. 
I'm looking at this painting, this drawing by Jeff Sidrell, and there's a there's a ton of stuff, but there's a circle, and in the circle there's a man sitting like a fucking Buddha, like the lotus pose kind of thing, but sort of crudely drawn, and then underneath that circle is the word world. So I just keep looking at the word world as I'm saying all this stuff, and it's fucking weird. Jeff Sidrell is a fucking excellent artist. I have thought I should have Jeff Sidrell on this fucking podcast. But I'm afraid to ask him to be on the podcast. And I don't know why I'm afraid of that. There's people that I've asked to be on the podcast. They have said yes, expressed excitement. But then I feel afraid that I'm not doing it right. And all I want to do in this life is fucking make movies but i've never done a single thing toward that end toward that goal toward that desire other than talk to fucking lou and alex about it on twitter one time isn't that weird that like the stuff that that again it's 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 in line with it's aligned with the energy of our hearts. That's the stuff that sometimes we were the most afraid of. And I'm just tired of living that way. I'm tired of living in fear. That's my second manifesto. <laughs> but it's receptive you free up a lot of energy when you do that you, you are you are giving yourself a break you're allowing yourself to to not fucking expend energy churning churning and churning and churning your your brain your thought machine and that is helpful Austin had this tweet. So nice to forget my troubles and ignore the news slash Twitter because I'm busy cooking food. Okay. 
here's here, here's what I was gonna say. I don't know how to put it. So it's like okay, I'll I'll do it before and after. Before before my before my dad died, my sort of attitude every day. This is my day. This is how I go about it. Here's my attitude towards the day. My attitude was, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to keep doing this. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do the next thing. And there's always something else. There's always like, oh yeah, you should really fucking do the dishes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You should fucking do this. And even stuff that was like, um, nominal or, or, or. Even stuff that was ostensibly relaxing, like say watching a movie, it was like, then I'm like trying to decide what like the right movie is that I should watch. And it becomes this like exhausting mental process of like trying to curate for myself an experience that blah, blah, blah. That, that was how I approached the day was this just constant pressure to realize the potential of all the energy in my body so it's like i have 100 units of energy every day i'm giving 100 units well i damn well better get something for every one of those units otherwise this day is a fucked day and i'm a fucking loser and i should be ashamed of myself that was how I that was how I went about my day. And indeed, almost every day did end with me feeling like shit about myself. But then my dad dies and I know that I'm just like overwhelmed by 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 just the situation. And I know that I can't fucking go about my days like that and I am going to shut down every night and what and what I realize is that have to use all of your energy. It's actually really good for you. Just let some of your energy just sit there. You don't have to fucking you don't have to fucking squeeze yourself dry every day. I guess how I might put it is the less that you do, the more you're capable. Maybe like the less that you, the less you do, the more you have. And every big idea I've ever had about all this stuff was, was all sort of premised on more. All I wanted was more. I wanted to do more. I wanted to accomplish more. I wanted more to happen. I'm tired of more. I don't want more anymore. I want less. I'm going to tell you a little story. There was once a little boy. And that little boy had a dream to run one of the most sophisticated illegal gaming operations the United States Army has ever seen. It's not right. And that little boy's dream came true. Now, they're trying to snatch that dream back from him. But what are the last two letters in the name Bilko? KO! 
plus the first three letters are B-I-L, which is meaningless. But still, am I giving up? No, never. Well, kind of, but not really, because there's no way I am going to Greenland. Well, you're probably wondering if I have a plan. But of course I have a plan. A P-L-A-N plan. He's <laughs> got no plan. We're screwed. But maybe a plan is not what I really need. What I really need is just a little puppy. A little puppy with big brown eyes will just come to me and lick my face and just love me so much, no matter what kind of person I am. Riding along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel. I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile. My curiosity running wild. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. Riding along in my automobile. I was anxious to tell her the way I feel. So I told her softly and sincere. And she leaned and whispered in my ear. Cuddling more and driving slow With no particular place to go That's uh, that's a little tune by Chuck Berry called Driving Around in My Automobile. Here's a sad story from my life. I'm a Chuck Berry fan. You know, you like Chuck Berry if you listen to him, is what I find. I, I don't know anyone that doesn't like Chuck Berry, but here's my here's my exposure to Chuck Berry. One. That song, like my dingling, it was on the radio in the town I grew up in. There was a, a classic rock station, and they would play my dingling every morning at like six fifteen or something like that. And some ne'er do well kid that I knew, he like had this bit where he was like, "Yeah, man, I get up every morning and listen to my dingling." And then, you know, you, you, an idiot kid, you start doing the same dumb shit. So I listened to that. And it was like this weirdly transgressive act. Getting up early to listen on the radio to a song about a dingling. When I was a little bitty boy, my grandmother bought me a cute little toy. Silver bells 
hanging on a string. She told me it was my ding-a-ling-a-ling, oh, my ding-a-ling, my ding-a-ling. Chuck Berry experience for me. Um, secondly, and perhaps more commonly, I like the movie Pulp Fiction, which famously features John Travolta and Uma Thurman doing a little dance. Now let's meet our first contestants here this evening. Young lady, what is your name? Mrs. Mia Wallace. And uh, how about your fella here? Vincent Vega. All right, let's see what you can do. Take it away. Chapel Bell, say la vie, say the old folks, it goes to show you never can tell. I was hanging out with my uncle and my dad and my cousin, who's a young man who lives with my parents. I can't remember what what caused me to say say la vie, but I said say la vie. And my cousin was like, what does that mean? And I, and I was like, uh, it's French, it means like, it means something. It's like a phrase that 
kind of means like, well, how about that or something? But that's not actually what it means. I, I don't actually, I guess I don't know what say la vie means. And then my uncle being a smarter guy than me, he said, such is life. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, such is life. And he was like, oh, isn't it funny how language works? Anyways, I saw the movie Pulp Fiction and I dug it. There's a couple little bits about Pulp Fiction. Like, the movie Pulp Fiction, my, 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 there's this kind of little narrative about it that my dad and my uncle, they saw it in the theater and they were like the only ones laughing. But they were like laughing the entire time, which is, you know, I vibe with that because. I like the idea of my dad and his brother laughing at a scene where, like, someone gets shot in the face or whatever the fuck. It's just, it's nice. So, because I hadn't seen the movie at this point, I was pretty young. And, but because I knew that my dad liked this movie, when my uh, eighth grade English teacher, he said that Pulp Fiction wasn't a good movie and that it was like a gimmick. Like, the, the way the movie's plot was constructed was just a kind of gimmick. And I hadn't seen the movie, just to be clear. I went home, and during our family meal, I was like, yeah, Mr. fucking Randall said that Pulp Fiction sucks. <laughs> and my dad said, he, he said, Mr. Randall's a kid. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. <laughs> And indeed, Mr. Randall didn't know what he was talking about. He was a younger teacher, and his take on Pulp Fiction was fucking tedious and boring. And, uh, you know, while I didn't get it at the time, it did seem, like, funny to me that my dad was denigrating my English teacher. And then eventually, so when I eventually did see Pulp Fiction, I was basically primed to love the movie. I'd been brainwashed. I'd been, I'd been psyoped into loving Pulp Fiction before I'd even known what it was. And I watched it, and I dug it, and I dug the song, the Chuck Berry song, and the famous dancing scene. And I would then, in certain points in future events, like do the thing where I put fingers past my eyes, a la John Travolta. The The other thing with Pulp Fiction specifically is, back in the day... Music, music was different. This this wacky dude named Sean Parker created this crazy thing called Napster, and people were just downloading music, and it changed the world, man. And Metallica was pissed, and everything, nothing was the same after that. And I had internet, so I was downloading mad shit off Napster. And then as like time wore on, like Napster uh, ceased to exist, and different things came in its wake, LimeWire, Kazaa, etc. And at some point during this uh, early nascent file sharing moment, I downloaded the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. But it was all one single long MP3. It was like a 47-minute file. And I put it on... I think what I had was a 
CD. There was like a data CD and a CD player that could read MP3 files on a CD. So you could put like way more fucking music on it, basically. But I listened to this soundtrack, but I couldn't skip around. And it was kind of cool. I was like, ooh, I have to listen to the whole thing. That's kind of cool. And it had like Jungle Boogie and some other stuff. And it was cool. Get down, get down. 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 Yeah, I liked Chuck Berry. I had various uh, connections to his work. And then as I got older, uh, you know, my my dear mother, when I was in high school, she went to a Bob Dylan concert and she got a Bob Dylan shirt for me. It was that style of shirt where it's like the face is like blurry if it's close, but if you're far away, it like looks clear. It was like made of dots. She got me a Bob Dylan shirt in that style. It was like orange and black. Great shirt. And because of this, I became like interested in Bob Dylan. And I got the record Blonde on Blonde at Walmart. And I dug that record. And then when I went to college, I got the record The Freewheeling Bob Dylan. And I dug that record even more. And then at some point, I uh, I got the record Bringing It All Back Home by Bob Dylan. And that record has the song uh, Subterranean Homesick Blues. John is in a basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on a pavement thinking about the government. A man in a trench coat batch I laid off. like I am and you are interested in something and you become obsessed with it, what you learn is that the song Subterranean Homesick Blues is kind of a rip-off of a Chuck Berry song called Too Much Monkey Business. Running to and fro, hard working at the mill, never fail in the mill, yet come a rotten bill. Too much monkey business, too much monkey business, too much monkey business for me to be involved in. Salesman talking to me, trying to run me up a creek. Say, you can buy it, go on, try it. You can pay me next week. Ah, too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business for me to be involved in. Blind, half good looking, trying to get me hooked. Want me to marry, get a home, settle down, write a book. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business for me to be involved in. 
day getting up, going to school. No need of me complaining, my objections overrule. Ah, too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business for me to be involved. Then I became obsessed with the Chuck Berry song too much of monkey And this is my interest in the, in the dude Chuck Berry. So as you can see, it's progressing through my life. I'm I'm a child. There's this song about a dingling that plays on the radio every morning. I'm an adolescent. The fucking tune in Pulp Fiction excites me because it's part of this evocative moment in cinema. I'm a burgeoning adult. And I hear the song Too Much Monkey Business and sort of understand that this song inspired another song that I like. And I'm developing a more sophisticated understanding of art and artistry and creativity. So then I learn that Chuck Berry lives in St. Louis. And he does a fucking show. He has like a weekly or monthly standing show. For him and his son, they just get together. They play the tunes. They do the hits. It's at this club called like Blueberry Hill or something like that. Which I believe is also the title of a Chuck Berry song. And me and my friend, Dylan, we agree we should go see Chuck Berry one of these days. But this is kind of the nadir of my life when I'm just like a miserable alcoholic who doesn't go anywhere, basically. And long story short, we never go. And by the time I'm like, I should go, I go to the Blueberry Hill website and they're like, yeah, the Chuck Berry thing is on hiatus. Uh, We don't know when it's going to start back up again, but we look forward to hearing from Chuck and his family Uh, and wish them all the best. Well, I never came back because uh, Chuck Berry's old. And the reason he stopped doing it is because, I don't know, he's either too healthy or too too unhealthy or too tired or something. He just couldn't keep doing it. And he died. I never saw Chuck Berry play this weird show in St. Louis. And I felt very bummed about that. And my bummedness, you know, caused yet another reigniting of my friendship with the art of Chuck Berry. And this happened around about the time that I started being interested in Liz Fair. And I realized there's kind of a, there's kind of a connection between them in that they both kind of talk. They have a way of singing that's like talking.
December 14th, 2010. It's called December 14th, 2010. 
I'd like to simplify what it means to be drunk, to enter into a room and be a cop, or any recognizable human thing, is all it is. All it was, was to be alone and make phone call after phone call. Have you ever filled a voicemail inbox? in a blackout. Of course it's different to be online, or to be with Dom, drinking every half drink drink. Of course I'll stay awake. How could I not? There are half-smoked cigarettes on the ground. When it snowed earlier, this tree cracked at the base, and there isn't a picture of that broken thing. This is a poem that Amanda helped me edit this poem back when she lived in Portland. So yeah, it's called Flatfoot. I like to lie freakishly still when I realize there is a sky. The ocean around me keeps getting bigger and deeper. song came on and I felt this weird tingly sensation of being moved by it and I realized that I'm like at this stage of my life where fucking U2 lyrics like matter to me or some shit so anyways I was in Florida and I was going I was in the airport going back to Nebraska like fucking 5am or some bullshit and fucking that song came on and it was just like this fucking weird moment so I wrote this poem called Airport Bono 
I was walking through the airport and heard Bono singing that 30 bro anthem about mountains. How do I become the next Jennifer Lawrence? How do I make that J-Law money? This shitty coffee. This shitty life. Wish as a kid I'd preferred flying kites with my dad over watching commercials. Those scumbags brainwashed me. And it's not paranoia me saying that. It's facts. Child brains are under attack. But lo, nobody cares to live my dreams. It's my dream. To live my dreams. It's my dream. To live my dreams. It's my dream. Counting down the days till I get my first post-revolutionary collectivist utopia blowjob. A trillion dollars shoved up my bunghole. Sit and drink penny royal tea. Kill the magic inside of me.
while drunk gazing at your glassy self in the mirror. I love you, little aunt. My parents are getting old. <laughs> They're older than Michaela's grandparents. They're gonna visit Cuba soon. I just got lost thinking about freezing to death. John Ashbery's million dollar relatives. I wanted to scream at Pizza Gizzy. We can't all have the best job in the world. Simon will never be a great food critic. Amanda will never make Lincoln a better place. My dad will never write a book about George W. Norris, and I will never win an Academy Award. When you get down to it, all you got is those childhood fantasies and nightmares stuck, lost souls swimming in a fishbowl year after year. Work's gonna suck tomorrow. Call me nerves. Call me I fuck up everything I do. Call me on the phone and spit eagles of love into my ears. Call me Paul. Call me Paul Clark. Call me Paul Hanson Clark. Call me I love you. Call me I gave you a birthday party. Call me the door you want to walk through to access the beautiful grazing plain. Call me shocked to have a spine and still shocked daily. Call me I look beautiful at 28. Call me I look beautiful at 25. Call me you'll hold me when I'm crying and weird. Call me not your strange friend. Call me just your friend. Call me simple. Call me I'm simple, I tell you, I'm the simplest of men. 
Call me all I want is boundless love. Call me that. Call me the grunts I do when I'm stretching my leg. Call me I like to move my body. Call me the laundry is dry because I put it there. Call me I used to not know. Call me three hours later. Call me ten years from now. Call me I'm tired. Call me I'm tired and sorry if I let you down. Call me I've always wanted to be your friend. Call me I never deserved your love. Call me shit was hard for me at the time. Call me I never knew how to pick up after myself. Call me I was living for a while in sunflower seed mold filth. Call me I talked to Justin outside of Buddy Wakefield reading once. Call me how alone we both were. Call me fuck poets get money. Call me ride and die. Call me how the fuck did I meet anyone. Call me memory is a stain that fades. Call me getting burnt and buried. Call me so I can see you. Call me I can see that you exist. Call me nerves again. Call me nerves. Don't forget to call me nerves. Call me I was so happy Kyle said he thought I'd be in love again this summer. Call me I don't mean I'm a bad dude when I say I like scamming on girls. Call me shy guy. Call me in my car in the cold. Call me all this fucking shit makes me so sad. Call me everything is a dead end and disappointment. Call me you look so happy in your profile pic, it's hard for me to imagine you saying these sad things. Call me some pretty extreme ambivalence going on. Call me if I don't get into Iowa, I think I'm going to get an associate's degree in drug alcohol counseling. Call me just want to do emo tweets for 20 years. Call me I can pour it all, I can pour out every feeling I've felt today and stare at the empty shiny glass. Call me bunny rabbit. Call me steel in the sky moving. Call me if you want to talk about anything in your crummy life. Call me from China. Call me small shoes. Call me the ballerina. Call me to leap into a specific posture in such a way that he never once strains for the posture but in the very leap assumes the posture. Call me the boy with the beautiful butt. That's the poem. We wish we were talking, you know, kind of uh, on, so to say, better circumstances, but we're here to honor uh, Judge uh, Cloyd Clark, who passed away the other day. Mary, I, I texted Mary the other day, say, hey, want to do something? You were close. He was so instrumental in so many things, Buffalo Commons, you know, a lot of the arts, the music and everything. Uh, gosh, uh, he, did, he did a lot, didn't he? 
He did. He did. I would say the one word I would think of with Cloyd is passionate. You know, he was passionate about McCook, um, about the people in McCook, friends. Um, and I think that people in McCook don't realize what all Cloyd was passionate about and what was initiated because of Cloyd. And we will benefit from that for years to come. And Buffalo Commons, like I said, uh, how many years, when did this all start? I've asked you this a thousand times. Uh, what, what year did you guys all kind well, of start actually, this? actually, this would be our 25th year. Um, we've decided it's our 24th and a half. Yeah, uh-huh. Since <laughs> last year. summer, or right, didn't have a we, chance. we had to cancel last summer. But Cloyd was, you know, a founder of this organization. He found this a challenge when some professors and researchers from back east came out to McCook to give them some of the history of what they had researched, they felt that this area of the country was barren and desolate, and that was just a challenge for Coit and some others. And they took that challenge, and they decided that we needed to um, do something about it, and that's how Buffalo Commons Storytelling and Music Festival came about. This was a way to share the vitality, the stories, the history of this area and show that it isn't. It's not a dying area. And um, so that was how Buffalo Commons came about. And Cloyd was, you know, a, an instigator in that. And yeah, he has his hands right there in it uh, for all these 24 years. And uh, and uh, well, the storytellers you've brought that he's, he's helped bring the town is amazing, isn't it? Well, yes. And Cloyd was one of the top storytellers. I remember, I'll tell you a story, I remember when I first started with the Buffalo Commons and one of the first meetings they asked me if I wouldn't be secretary. I said yes. Didn't realize what a challenge that was because, um, you know, I'm trying to take minutes and all these stories pop up and I'm thinking, okay, what is important in the minutes? What isn't? What's a story? What is mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, and Cloyd had, he has such a wealth of experiences. He's such a treasure himself that, you know, the stories that he had were delightful. Bruce McDowell, uh, you, you just grab that like a rock star. We know you're our rock star, Bruce. And uh, no question, you worked with Cloyd on a lot of things and man, uh, did a lot, didn't he? Yeah, actually, Cloyd probably is the single reason I've gotten so involved in the community. He would absolutely talk to anybody. And if he saw something that that person might be useful for, he would just put that little bug in their ear. Actually, he was stronger than that. Um, you know, he he was instrumental in bringing the CASA program to southwest Nebraska. And then that, shortly after we moved here, then he talked Kathy into taking over the directors and has been there ever since. I'm glad you brought that up. CASA, uh, yeah. court-appointed special advocates. Right. Uh, and, he, yeah, he was instrumental in helping that. Absolutely was. And... and uh, remained a supporter even after retired. So um, I worked with him on the Norris Institute, which was a passion for him. Uh, preserving George Norris's legacy is is what we do, and we're building a Prairie Arboretum down here at J Street and the Highway um, to use as a, a outdoor classroom, really for for kids, so they can. Well, not just kids. Everybody that wants to see what the prairie looked like before we moved here, when the buffaloes did roam. So um, we're also working on a, a little outdoor park next, between the Keystone and the Fox. Um, hope to break ground on that sometime this 
spring. So you're just talking about some current projects going on right now? These are things that Floyd was absolutely involved in and supported. So, um, you know, he, he and I, I witnessed him drawing other people in, too. I mean, people moving to town, he'd run into them at the bakery and get to talk and find out what they were about and what their background was. And he said, hey, I'm out showing up. I mean, that's how I ended up on the Buffalo Commons. I mean, it was it was quite. I mean, you, he's going to be missed for that reason. It, hopefully, somebody can step in and, and serve that same purpose, but I don't know who it is. Big shoes yeah. to fill, is it? Yeah. I want to insert something there. We visited about Cloyd yesterday, and Mark Graff was the one who said that Floyd should be the recruiter for Nebraska because he was so darn good at it. <laughs> <laughs> probably would have done it. If he had that chore, he probably would have done a great job at it, huh? Sharon Bowling, uh, uh, get the microphone over to you. And, of course, uh, teacher, retired teacher, McCook Public Schools for many, many years. Into history. You're, you're, you, you love the history of this area, don't you? And, and Cloyd was right there. And I do have a story about Cloyd during my teaching career. When I was the librarian, there was a suggestion box on the table for students to suggest titles they wanted me to order. And one day, I don't know why Cloyd was at school, but he was in the library visiting, and we hadn't known each other very closely for very long. And I noticed he put a slip into the suggestion box. So when he left, I pulled it out, and it said, we need a taller librarian. <laughs> so Cloyd had a good sense of humor and was willing to... Um, use it at the expense of a lot of his friends. But but one thing I will miss about him is anytime he was at a, a cultural event or an art show or even just in the bakery and something tickled his fancy, he had this hearty, hearty laugh that was very contagious. And you knew Floyd was in the room, and I will miss hearing that at concerts and um, all around town. And Cloyd mentioned that about being a, a taller librarian. Floyd was not a tall guy himself. <laughs> not, I mean, you probably about... Same height, but maybe you probably could say, hey, speak for yourself. You're not very tall either, huh? <laughs> well, I didn't know him that well then. I definitely sure. would have said that now. <laughs> but, uh, again, you, you, you the, the, the Buffalo Common story, I see you all the time at all the great the events and stuff like that. He's been so great at bringing all these great people to town. Um, correct. I also worked with Cloyd on the um, museum board, and he had the idea. We call Cloyd the idea man, and then he gets someone else to do the job for him. But um, he had the idea that McCook Museum was not focusing enough on the railroad, which was how McCook got started and came into prominence. So he suggested that we remodel the railroad room. And he suggested it for a couple meetings and not much was happening. So he put his money where his mouth was and donated the money to make that happen. And we are in the process of finishing that up now. So that will be because of Cloyd that we have a better representation at our museum. I'm sure, like Bruce kind of uh, touched on a little bit, there's a lot of projects he was he was working on or helped working on and probably some more he still had in his head that he was <laughs> down the line, huh? Uh, yes, he thought the museum should do an exhibit on the lame duck amendment right before the last election. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he was always thinking. No question. Now, Mary, uh, once again, uh, the, the Buffalo Commons, we kind of touched on this before we started going on. Is, is a go for this year, right it's now? A, it's a go for June 11th through the 13th. Mm -hmm. That's correct, yeah. We have a great lineup again. Um, but we'll also have Cloyd involved in this. Oh, really yeah, do some, some tributes yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, Cloyd was um, very strong and passionate about, as you said, history. 
of the arts, and um, he was uh, a Rotarian. He was the, mm -hmm. what do you call it, the district governor. District governor, mm -hmm. um, and he um, also was just uh, uh, just involved in so many things. Like I said, the historical Nebraska Historical Society, mm -hmm. state board, state board. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he he not only had passions, but he acted on his passions. He not only had passions, but he acted on his passions. He not only had passions, but he acted on his passions. He not only had passions, but he acted on his passions. When did he retire as a district as a judge? Or what year? I'm throwing a curveball out there. You are. I, uh, it's in the obituary. Yeah, I, yeah, I just. <laughs> I want to say maybe 2007, but okay, I'm not 100 percent sure about that. So it's been a good 10. He's been retired a good 10, 15 years or so, or yes. about 10 years or so. Yeah, yeah, at least at least that. Very good. So once he retired, he just wanted to get more involved, didn't he? A Sometimes. Little a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I get it. I get it. Well, uh, one thing we wanted to mention yeah. is for next Tuesday about the about the funeral. Okay. You want to you want to touch um, on that? Sure. Linda and Paul and the family want the people in McCook to know that it was the diocese of the Episcopal Church in Nebraska that made the call to limit the attendance at the funeral on Tuesday, and they hope if you weren't able to come to that, that you'll get your Cloyd story ready and come to a big celebration that they plan for everybody in the. Um, summer, we hope, mm -hmm. or early fall, and it will include good food, good stories, um, good wine in honor of Cloyd, and um, please understand, they would love to see you all, but come to the celebration. Exactly right. There is a viewing, though, on Monday, oh. yeah. where the family will yeah. be present at the funeral home, Herman Jones, four to six, four to six. so yeah. that's another opportunity if you just want to do something now. Because I'm sure a lot of family and friends would come to the funeral if, right. if they could, it's just not that big of a church, and... Uh, we got to keep the, the COVID-19 restrictions, space, and stuff like that. So, But anyway, that'll be a great uh, thing in the summertime when and Linda will let everybody know about that. No question about right. it. Yeah. All right. Anything closing, uh, uh, Mary, on, on Cloyd? And uh, no question, going to miss the guy. Uh, I love being around for all the great events. Well, you know, Cloyd is no longer with us, but he has told enough stories <laughs> that have... Um, tickled our funny bone yeah. and been near to our heart that you know he will be with us for a long time bruce how about you I, again you touched on sin when you moved here you and kathy you kind of got you going here in the in the community didn't he absolutely did and kept us going over the years uh you know given given retirement he had more time to think about what somebody else ought to be doing and, <laughs> and he was wonderful that way i and I, you know that was a that was a gift. So uh, he's really going to be missed. I they're going to be big shoes to fill. Sharon, how about you? Well, I'm just going to close with our favorite word for Cloyd, and that's bully. Really? That was that was it. Theodore huh? Roosevelt's uh, bully. Okay, okay, good deal. He played Theodore Roosevelt. He had that role, and he looked. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Like yeah. Very true. Very true.
chicken crosses the road and dies forever. The fountain is about how it always dies. Girls is about making grave mistakes, being comfortable doing shit that fucks you up. Pink Floyd is a story about a dude named Sid who did a lot of drugs and lost his mind. All his bros felt weird and became millionaires. Martin Luther King talked about Nicodemus who said, I need to be born again in order for the world to change. Everything must change. I made a new tablet because treat others how you would like to be treated is a failure. Explore how to treat others, trying to treat them how they'd like to be treated, and treat yourself good in your brain as best you can. Is it possible to be content? I remember being a boy seeing the goofy movie with my father I felt a sad love for the first time and still don't know what to do
This is my new song about living on earth. I can't let go of all my pains, but that don't matter, cause the future will change my grip. It will change my grip in ways that I can't predict, and that's so beautiful. I am just overcome with beauty This one's my new song about turning 31 I hope to have a bunch of fun I'm going to Katie's poetry reading And I will say some things to her About how great I think that her work is This one's still my one about turning 31 I'm a little bit bummed Because my parents wanted to be here But I told them I was busy And how many more birthdays Do I have to spend with the two of them Cause they are getting older And so am I And I will die and so will they, but I wish they wouldn't, but they will, they will, they will, they will, they will, they will. This one's my new one about everything. The snow's melting, cause it's warm in February in Lincoln, and that is something pretty cool. This one is my truth that I sing to you. I am in love with someone who loves me, and I mean it. This one is the first one that isn't sad as fuck. But it's sad as fuck Cause everything has dualities and trialities and quadalities and infinite capacity to be so much at once We live in a myriad of ways all the gods